today on In Spirit and Truth with Pastor J.D. Farag. Perhaps we need look no further than to the Proverbs to explain the condition of the Christian church today. Because the Proverbs say that to fear the Lord is to hate evil. So if I'm tolerating evil and not hating evil, then that must mean that I don't fear God. You're listening to In Spirit and Truth, the radio ministry of Pastor J.D. Farag of Calvary Chapel, Kaneohe. Pastor J.D. is currently teaching through the book of 2 Corinthians. Today's society has become numb to many things not acceptable to God. In turn, the church body has begun to tolerate evil. As Pastor J.D. points out, the Bible tells us that to fear God is to hate evil. We must not look to society to tell us what's wrong and right. We must turn to God's Word to direct our choices so that we can be a guiding light to those around us. Now, be sure to stay with us after today's message to hear how you can get your own copy of today's broadcast. Subscribe to the In Spirit and Truth podcast or download the In Spirit and Truth iPhone or Android mobile app. Now, here's Pastor J.D. with his message, Obstacles to Godliness. Pastor Chuck Smith has a great contrast that he pointed out from Scripture. He says, Sorrow alone accomplishes nothing. Peter was sorry. He was sorry he denied Christ, and he repented. That was a godly sorrow. Judas was also sorry. He was sorry that he betrayed Christ, but instead of repenting, he committed suicide. He killed himself. Think about that. That is a very stark contrast, an example of the two kinds of sorrow. There's the godly sorrow that leads to repentance. One of my favorite verses in all the Bible is Romans 2.4. It says this, It's the kindness of God that leads a man to repentance. I think sorely lacking in the Christian church today, certainly in the Christian home today, and I'll even say in the Christian marriage today, is repentance. Repentance from sin. Sin in the home. Sin in the life of a Christian. And even sin in the church. As we're about to see, Paul is going to talk about a very serious and grievous sin that had taken up residence there in the Corinthian church. But it's the kindness of God when God in His mercy and His grace does not pay us as our sins deserve. When we're on the receiving end of that mercy, that grace, that kindness from God, it's then that we are brought to our knees with a godly sorrow that leads to a true repentance. I wonder if there was a godly sorrow in our Christian homes, in our Christian churches today, that led to this genuine repentance and change, which is, by the way, what repentance means. 
Repentance is one of those big words. And by the way, if you ever do a word study on repentance, you're in for a real, what's the word I'm looking for? Shock. You're going to be shocked to find that replete throughout the pages of Holy Writ, you will find this one word, repentance, throughout. The first word, when Jesus began his public ministry, John the baptizer, the first word, repent. Kingdom of heaven is at hand. Throughout Scripture, you find this word, and I'm sorry to say, (laughs) be hard-pressed to find a church today that even utters the word. Alan Redpath of True Repentance writes, Godly sorrow that leads to repentance, therefore, is a sorrow that leads to a change of purpose, of intention, and of action. It is not the sorrow of idle tears. It is not crying by your bedside because once again you have failed, nor is it vain regret, wishing things had never happened, wishing you could live the moments again. No, it is not that. It is a change of purpose and intentions, a change of direction and action. It is real change. It is genuine repentance. And you're changed from the inside out by the grace of God and in the power of the Holy Spirit to live a holy life. That is true repentance. And it comes by way of the kindness of God that leads us to this sorrow, this godly sorrow, not the sorrow of being found out, not the sorrow of being exposed, not the sorrow of being caught. It's the sorrow of, oh God, oh wretched man that I am, who will deliver me from this body of death? That's the godly sorrow that leads to repentance. G. Campbell Morgan of this wrote, Repentance is not sorrow only. It may be unaccompanied by sorrow at the time, but sorrow will always follow. Sorrow for the past. But this change of mind is the great thing. Perhaps you've heard it said that God cannot change our heart until we first change our mind. God will never force holiness, repentance on us. He has to lead us to it so that we of ourselves will make the decision, first changing our mind, and in so doing, give him permission, if you will, to have unfettered access to our hearts, to change our hearts. What do we know to be true about our hearts? Are they not deceitfully wicked? Think about that. Deceitfully wicked. 
Oh, but I have a good heart. No, you don't. No, you don't. Oh, Pastor Shirley, you have a good heart. No, I don't. (laughs) My heart, your heart is so deceitfully wicked that you have the propensity to deceive yourself. And that's why we're told that our hearts are so deceitfully wicked, we don't even know how deceitfully wicked they are. That's why God has to change our heart. He has to change our heart. On the way here this morning, I knew that this was just one of several obstacles to godliness. And I told myself that I would not take the whole time and talk about repentance. Though I did entertain that for a while. (laughs) And the reason is, is because so heavy on my heart today is this need for godly sorrow and repentance. And so before we go to verses 11 through 13, I just want to ask you to allow the Holy Spirit to search your heart in the quietness of where you're sitting and see if there be anything at all that is keeping you from knowing Him, hearing Him, loving Him, living for Him. And allow Him to put His finger on it, and then allow Him to remove it. He'll do it. He'll do it. And only you know what that is. And the Lord knows what that is. It's that something that has gained access to your heart. It's taken up residence in your Christian life. And you cannot even begin to understand how destructive it is and dangerous it is. And I'll add, deadly it is, if you don't let the Lord deal with it. Let's move on to our fifth obstacle to godliness, and it's an unwillingness to right wrongs. In verse 11, Paul tells them to look at what this godly sorrow has produced in their lives. And he lists them and names them, and among them are earnestness, eagerness, a righteous indignation to see that justice is done. They had a wrong that needed to be made right in their church. And in verse 12, he tells them that 
even though he wrote them, it wasn't on account of the one who did the wrong, but rather it was for them. He did this for them because of his love for them. And in verse 13 he says, By this they were encouraged and were especially delighted to see how happy and blessed and encouraged Titus was by their refreshing him while Titus was visiting them. Actually, the Apostle Paul sent Titus to them instead of going himself. He did go on his way to Macedonia to visit the Corinthian church, and it was horrible. It was such a terrible uh, experience. And that's why he did not, on his way back from Macedonia, go and visit them the second time. He just, he couldn't handle it. What do you mean? Well, I really believe that the Apostle Paul was very hurt by the Corinthian church. Usually it's the other way around, isn't it? People in the church are hurt by the pastor of the church. But in this case, I would submit that this pastor, this apostle, who planted this church was hurt by this church. It was so hurtful to him. What they had done to him, said about him, and what they had allowed into that church. But when he sends Titus, he sends with Titus a letter, and they receive Titus, and they have this godly sorrow, and they repent, and it changes everything. And Titus comes back with this good report. And he says in verse 13 that by this they were so encouraged, and they were so delighted to see how blessed and encouraged Titus was as well. Now what is Paul referring to here when he talks about this wrong, making it right, well, it's believed to be concerning the man in the Corinthian church who was sexually immoral, in open sin, in the church. In Paul's first epistle, he rebukes them for accepting this man who was actually, if you can imagine, sinning sexually with his stepmother. But it seems to their credit they did what was right and they kicked him out of the church just as Paul had told them and it led to this man repenting. Perhaps you'll indulge me. I, I think it would be good to read the account. It's in 1 Corinthians chapter 5 verses 1 through 5 because it's germane to our understanding of what we're reading here in 2 Corinthians chapter 7. Paul writes, verse 1, it is actually reported that there is sexual immorality among you and of a kind that even the pagans do not tolerate. A man is sleeping with his father's wife, and you're proud. Shouldn't you rather have gone into mourning and have put out of your fellowship the man who has been doing this? 
For my part, even though I am not physically present, I am with you in spirit. As one who is present with you in this way, I've already passed judgment in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ on the one who has been doing this. So when you are assembled and I am with you in spirit and the power of our Lord Jesus is present, hand this man over to Satan. What? Why? For the destruction of the flesh, so that his spirit may be saved on the day of the Lord. Wow. You know what they did? They kicked him out of the church. They gave him over to Satan for the destruction of the flesh, and it worked. He repented. And then the Corinthian church restored him to the fellowship. Wow. Oh my goodness. <laughs> Could you imagine? Could you imagine if that happened in this church? I, I think about Ananias and Sapphira. You remember that husband and wife who lied to the Holy Spirit and God killed them in church in front of everybody? Think about this. What kind of a reputation do you think that church had at that time? Oh, I'm not going into that church. I heard God kills people in that church. I'm staying away from that church. Right? That's what you would think, right? Well, you know what? The exact opposite happened. Why is that? How is that? Because there was true repentance. There was a godly sorrow that came, a fear of the Lord that came, a reverent fear of God, which is our next one in verses 14 through 16. In verse 14, Paul says that he had boasted to Titus about them, and they didn't embarrass him, but instead proved true everything that he had said to them about Titus. In verse 15, he says, his affection for them is all the greater, more so now, when he remembers their obedience. That was the hard thing to do, but it was the right thing to do. And oftentimes, is it not true that the right thing to do is the hard thing to do? Which is why oftentimes we don't do it, because it's too hard. But he says that he was just overjoyed in how they received him with fear and trembling. I tell you, this is the lost jewel in the church today. A holy fear of God. A holy fear of God. In verse 16 he goes on to express his gladness saying that now he can have complete confidence in them in everything. His trust now in them has just been raised to a whole new level. His confidence in them, because he knows now that 
as hard as that was to do, it was the right thing to do, and God honored it, and God blessed it, and this man repented. And can you imagine the joy in that church over this sinner repenting? Could you imagine being, in, just picture it for a moment. You attend Calvary Chapel, Corinth. <laughs> That's terrible to say it like that, isn't it? But it is, uh, you know, maybe the way to illustrate it. And you're in church one day, and you know this guy is an open sexual sin with his stepmother. And the pastor of the church and the leadership in the church are doing absolutely nothing about it. How safe do you feel in that church? If I can't trust the pastor and the leadership in handling something as grievous as this, because remember now, a little leaven leavens the whole loaf of bread. Doesn't take much. Because see, here's what happens. Now there's a, a new believer sitting in the church, and they know what's going on, and nothing's being done about it, and they think, oh, maybe it's okay. Maybe it's okay. And you know what's even more tragic about that whole dynamic? They, they must not love him enough to say something. And if they don't love him enough to say something, then they must not love me. Because that's what love is, right? Because we love, we're going to speak truth, as we've talked about. If you were to ask me what I thought was one of the greatest hindrances to living a godly Christian life, this would have to be it. It's that of having no fear of God. No fear of God in our eyes, no fear of God in our lives, no fear of God in our churches. Perhaps we need look no further than to the Proverbs to explain the condition of the Christian church today. Because the Proverbs say that to fear the Lord is to hate evil. So if I'm tolerating evil and not hating evil, then that must mean that I don't fear God. The Proverbs also say that the fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. I'll close with this simple yet introspective question. Again, I ask it. What obstacles in my life, in your life, have become a hindrance to living a godly life? The book of 2 Corinthians has much to teach us, but sadly that's all we have time for in today's edition of In Spirit and Truth. Be sure to join us again, though, as Pastor J.D. Farag continues teaching his verse-by-verse study through the book of 2 Corinthians. In the meantime, you can find more messages from Pastor J.D. by visiting our website, inspiritandtruthradio.com. Be sure to subscribe to our podcast as well and receive new messages as soon as they're available. You can also download our mobile app for iPhone and Android, and you'll always have teachings from God's Word right at your fingertips. 
You'll also want to check out Pastor J.D.'s Aloha Prophecy Update. Each Friday and Saturday, Pastor J.D. shares the current events and how they relate to the end-time prophecies described in the Bible. The purpose behind these updates is to take a practical look at the end times and how events occurring around the world coincide with biblical prophecy. Pastor J.D. hopes the information he provides stirs in us an urgency to share the gospel and make sure all have heard the good news of Jesus before he returns to judge the world. There's much to learn each week, and Pastor J.D. does a great job of getting us the information we need. You can find new and previous updates by going to our YouTube channel. Just search the Aloha Prophecy Update on YouTube. We hope today's message has touched your life and left you craving more from the Word of God. Join Pastor J.D. next time for another in-depth look at the book of 2 Corinthians, right here on In Spirit and Truth.